Listen, let's find our Bibles and let's open them to Matthew 18, please. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15 today. In that book rack Bible, page 1527, 1527, but maybe you've got a tablet or a smartphone or Kindle, something like that. Just find your way to Matthew 18. That will be great. We come to a passage today that is it's one of the most neglected passages in the New Testament when it comes to individuals dealing with conflict in personal relationships in their lives. I mean, all of us know what it feels like to be offended or to be sinned against, and how do we handle that? And the church oftentimes is not very good at handling that, and Christians are not very good at handling that. And the beautiful thing about expositional preaching is that it lands us in texts that sometimes we'd rather avoid. And here we are today in Matthew 18. Now, remember the context of Matthew 18. We started a couple weeks ago. This is a teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew. It begins, the whole chapter, chapter 18, is about community. It's the, the importance that we are an amazing community in the Lord. We, we have been brought into faith through the grace and, and the love of Christ, and we've been joined into this beautiful community called the church, the body of Christ. And there are four things that Jesus is teaching his disciples about community in Matthew 18. He's talking about the element of humility. You know, you know, I need to be like a little child to be in the kingdom of God. You know, his disciples wanted to be like A-listers. They wanted to be on the super team, you know, the all-star team. And Jesus said, hey, the important thing is just being on the team. You know, be a team player. Be, uh, be a humble person. And he draws this little child and he says, this is the way you need to be. Community requires people with humility. It also requires people that care for each other and actually go after each other. We look after each other in the body of Christ, don't we? We care about people that don't show up and we haven't seen for a while and we love on them and we reach out to them. And that's where Jesus talked about the parable of the lost uh, sheep that the shepherd goes after that one that has gotten away from the flock. And that's what community does. It goes after, it cares. And today, now we come to this little portion where Jesus is going to talk about how to deal with offenses, how to deal with wrongs that have been done against you. And, and there's all kinds of things that can happen in the body of Christ, yes, in the body of Christ, uh, that can uh, be egregious to us, right? I mean, uh, we, can, we can be uh, judged, we can be gossiped against, we can be cheated, we can be lied to, we can be neglected, we can be abused sometimes. All of these things happen and more in the body of Christ. And, and I, by the way, this is going to happen in your life. I mean, if you're a new believer today or you're kind of new or you're looking into faith and you're wondering if it's a safe thing, I want to, I'm just going to give you the warning right now. Sooner or later, somebody who is also a Christian is going to hurt you some way. I, now, if I just burst somebody's bubble right there... You know, tell, just whisper, if you just send someone next to you just crushing right now, just, just it's going to be all right. Everybody, everybody relax because this is part of life. And, and by the way, that happens. People are going to hurt us not because we're a terrible community. We're actually a great community. The church is the greatest community on planet earth. There is no community greater, no commu community more powerful, no community more winsome, more communi no community more generous. The community of God's people, the church, is the most amazing community on the planet. But even so, there are going to be times where we are going to be hurt by each other. We're not going to like what something someone does or says to us. And how do we deal with that? That's what Jesus is going to address here in this text. So let's read and see what it has to say, what he has to say. Verse 15, 
If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. All right. Now, I I know... uh, I know that some of this might be a little confusing to some of us here today. Uh, A couple things I want to reiterate as we launch into the teaching time. First of all, most churches and most Christians are not very good at what we just read right here. (laughs) We're not very good at it. So we really need to lean in and listen to what Jesus has to say. We need to understand this text. And by the way, there's a few things in here that need to be cleared up. Uh, For example, um, what does it mean to bind something or loose something? We're going to talk about that and hopefully clear that up. And by the way, verse 19, is this just talking about prayer in general or is this talking about something very specific? So these are some of the things we're going to discuss this morning as we launch into this. If you're taking notes, what I want to show you this morning is a really simple text in a lot of ways. What I want to show you this morning out of this text is a procedure. I want to show you a principle and I want to show you a promise. And if you think about it in those three ways today, this is all going to come together in a beautiful way. I want you to see a procedure that's really important. I want you to see uh, a principle that needs to be applied, and then I want you to see a promise that is just absolutely amazing. So if you're taking notes, the first thing verses 15 through 17 tell us is that when when, when it comes to dealing with offenses, there's a procedure to follow. When we think about a procedure, there's something here that we need to follow. And just so we can get some traction and help us remember what we're talking about with these three principles, these three points of, you know, and and sorry for the alliteration, but just a little bit of a learning key here, the procedure, the the principle, and the promise. I'm going to give you a little prompt that will help sort of focus what we're really saying in this measure uh, in each one of these uh, main points of the sermon. So this first helpful reminder, what we're talking about here is that uh, what I want you to see is that this is for you, Okay. Uh, um, say that with me. This is for you. Well, you, you said that sounded like you were saying it to me, but actually you were, you were saying it to you. Uh, this is for you. And by the way, if you look at the text, if your brother sins against you, and some of the older translation or older manuscripts, and this is it's a tough one because it's kind of a balance when it comes to manuscript evidence. Some manuscripts leave out the two words against you. So this could be dealing with just offenses in general, like if you see a brother sin or a sister sin. But uh, some of our translations, like the NIV here, shows us that if a brother sins against us, and this, this also has some reality to it, because if you go back in the context, back to verse 10, you saw that Jesus said that we should not look down on any of these little ones. Jesus is talking about the sin of, of, uh, of disparaging against others. The sin of judging others, the sin of looking down, have an attitude of I'm greater than, I'm superior than. And so it's kind of like what Jesus may be saying here is that, and and if this happens to you, so in verse 10 he's talking about don't be a perpetrator, so to speak, but what if you're the victim? 
What if you're on the receiving end of something like that? So it could go either way. And, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of go into that a little bit more. But the reality here, this is, this is God telling us, Jesus is telling us to take personal responsibility for what needs to happen to straighten the matter up. And that's why I say this is for you. The idea of a procedure to follow is that every one of us in the church needs to practice what Jesus is talking about here. The whole body needs to be accountable to this. Everybody needs to be accountable to it. And basically what Jesus is saying is that there's a way to deal with this. There is a way to deal with offenses that come against us. And something that Jesus doesn't say in this text, but certainly is biblical, and I thought I would start with this just because I think it's a great place to start, is that if you're thinking about the two ways you can handle people that offend you, uh, the first thing you can do is you can just let it go, okay? Now, that's not in the text, but I'm going to say to you that the Bible talks a lot about letting offenses go. I mean, we should not be a people that every time someone offends us, we're like, okay, I got that one. You know, we you know, keep a little memory card of all the people that offend us. Um, I love what Proverbs 17, 9 says. Let's read it out loud together just so it kind of goes into our hearts. Ready? Here we go. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends, right? So it's good to look over an offense. It's good to just sort of let it ride. You don't have to call it out every time. And this is the mark of, of the community of faith. We, are, we should be really good at letting stuff sort of, you know, uh, fall off of us and not feel like it's always this big offense. Proverbs 19.11, another one, 19.11 says it this way. Read it with me. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. You know, if you want to have glory in your life, if you want to be seen with a, a good reputation, be a person that looks over offenses. Be quick to overlook offenses. Uh, uh, be slow to sort of like, you know, uh, keep track and, and like, oh, I remember when you did that before, but it's human nature to keep track, right? We know how many times people offend us, and so we start keeping the little ledger, and pretty soon we, we blow up about it. I love what uh, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, and we'll read this one, one last one. Let's go. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins, this is beautiful. I mean, this is what makes the body of Christ different from every other community and group. I mean, what makes us different is that we are people that love and forgive all the time. We, we do not hold offenses. We do not keep track of what does love do. It keeps no record of wrong, 1 Corinthians 13 says. And so we should be so good. We should be practicing this all the time. So again, not in the text, but I thought it would be a good reminder since we're going to look at a procedure that is going to be a little challenging for some of us. It's also good to let things go, okay? That's good. Now, sometimes we can't let it go, and sometimes we shouldn't let it go. Things that happen that are unjust, maybe something that someone is like a repeat, you see them just sort of like, you know, mowing people down with their behaviors or their actions, and you suddenly were in the way, and yeah, you could have let it go, but maybe there was something that you feel like for protecting someone else, or maybe it's just, you know, you pray about it, and you just, ah, you can't let it go. If you've been offended, if you've been sinned against, here's the procedure that we ought to deal with. And so if you're taking notes, you can let it go or you can deal with it. I want you to see that here in the text. You can deal with it. And, and, and behind this, by the way, dealing with this, is behind, behind this is Leviticus 19.17 that says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not 
share in his guilt. The point is, if you don't rebuke, if you don't uh, 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 confront, you sometimes then harbor bitterness toward people, and that becomes a disease in your life. I mean, you talk about health issues, emotional issues, pent-up bitterness and anger over unresolved conflict in our lives is rampant everywhere in the community and sometimes also in the church. And so there's an appropriate way, and by the way, there are more inappropriate ways to deal with offenses, but there is an appropriate way that Jesus says how to deal with this. And so if you're taking notes, this is really important. And by the way, I'm just, I look at this sermon this morning as sort of like a counseling session. I'm partly going to be counseling myself here, but I'm also counseling the church. I'm saying this is so critical. And because we're not usually very good at this kind of thing, we need to kind of lean in and listen. So here's what Jesus said. First of all, he said, go directly to the person who committed the offense. Go directly. The operative word there is directly, okay? I would bet that the conflicts that happen between believers in the body that are never reconciled are not reconciled simply because this first basic step was overlooked. I'll point out that this step, as simple and basic as it is, is the most difficult step. Most of us don't like to confront others, right? Anybody here? Anybody, you know, and by the way, I would be afraid. I, I'm real, I like to confront others. Now, I know most people are not like really wanting to, but you, at, at some point, Jesus said, if you've been sinned against, you've got to go. You've got to have a conversation. It's going to be a hard conversation. You're going to bring up something that was not favorable. And, uh, you know, our, our, we get that gulp factor. But notice Jesus said, just between the two of you. And by the way, and Jesus doesn't say about the attitude here, but other places in the scripture remind us, as we go and do this, it should be done with gentleness and humility in our hearts. Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. You know, when we have to go and confront sin in somebody's life, in a general sense, or if the sin has been against us, the Bible says we should do it gently because, like Isaiah 59, 12 says, it says, our offenses are many in your sight for our sins testify against us. Your offenses are ever with, our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities. I mean, in the prophecy of Isaiah, God's people were saying, we, we know who we are. And if we know who we are, it should make us gentle and humble when we have to go and confront someone that has done something, said something, harbored an attitude about something in our lives that has been hurtful to us in some way. We need to go directly. And so just ask yourself the question right now. If there's, if there's something that has happened in your life recently or in the distant past even that uh, has been an unresolved conflict, have you gone to this person? Have you gone to this person and had a conversation Secondly, not only go directly, but Jesus, here's the procedure. He says, start with and keep throughout the goal of reconciliation, okay? Notice the little phrase there. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. The idea is, it's not, you, it's not you've won them over to your side. You've won them back to a place of repentance. You've won them to a place where there's now clean air between you, that there's a, a sense of resolve. And so the whole point of this <laughs> 
You know, I look at some people, you talk about church discipline. By the way, the heading of this passage is church discipline. And we don't often think about that, but here it is, Matthew 18, we teach the Bible. This is a great passage to remember that when we have sinned or we've sinned against somebody, we should count on a conversation, a personal conversation with somebody. It should be direct, it should be with the person that we are involved with and nobody else And we should be doing it in such a way that is humble and full of grace with the goal of bringing reconciliation. Church discipline is not about hateful retribution. It's about love. That's what makes this community. Here's here's what makes the church of Jesus Christ such a unique community. We govern ourselves. There's no hierarchy that's, you know, I'm going to call the, the sin police on you. And so we, we blow the whistle, we throw the flag, and we send those people in there. No. Jesus says when you've been sinned against, by yourself, you go and you have a conversation with that person. Humbly, with gentleness, in hopes of bringing resolve and clear air between you. This is what makes the body of Christ so unique. And that's why all over the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, talks about, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be litigious people. We should do everything possible to, to bridge and come to the table of agreement before we have to go to the courts of law because when believers go to the courts of law against one another, what a terrible testimony that is. You can just imagine two people standing before a judge who are believers. You know. well, that's a great witness for the world. And Jesus says you can work it out when you go directly first and you keep the goal of reconciliation in your sight all the time. And by the way, the reason this first step is so crucial is because when it's practiced, it eliminates every other step. But if you neglect going directly to a person, starting it off that way, then everything goes off the rails from the start. Okay? So, first, go directly to the person. Go with gentleness and humility. Second, keep throughout the goal reconciliation. There's something else here. I see this in the text. Be patient, but if matters don't get resolved, look at this. Be willing to take additional steps. This is where it gets a little bit, a little bit dicey, okay? Because there's nothing in this text that tells us how long we should wait before we re-engage with the situation. It doesn't say... You know, Jesus didn't say, if you go to your brother and if he will not listen in two days, <laughs> then take two or three others along. And if they don't listen in a week, one week or two, no, there's no time element here. It's as if what Jesus is saying, look, you need to be patient. This stuff takes time. You may go and confront somebody and they may be offended with your confrontation. They may not have seen what happened and it sort of took them back and maybe They weren't prepared spiritually. Maybe they weren't walking in the Spirit, and they just kind of came back and let you have it. And you go, oh, that didn't go well. I guess the Bible doesn't count. It doesn't work. And we discount what Jesus said. What Jesus wants us to do is is to gently, we come in gently, we come in with humility, we say this sin uh, can, you know, you lied to me, you, you gossiped about me, you cheated me out with something, you abused me, you neglected me. You, I'm, I'm showing you something that happened in my life as a result of this, re, this uh, thing with you, and, and they don't take it well. Or maybe they don't know how to take it. Maybe they say thank you, but that's it. They don't say forgive me. There's no reconciliation. They just kind of quiet down. And what Jesus is saying here is that we have to be willing to take additional steps. 
And if you're talking about additional steps, what Jesus says first, here's the first step after, I don't know, how much time? You don't want to wait so long that the matter sort of goes into abeyance, but, but at, maybe you wait a, a couple of weeks. Maybe, and during that time, you're just praying and saying, God, what's next? But if a person didn't, you know, didn't come under what was going on, didn't acknowledge it, didn't sort of bring the blue sky parting you know, kind of thing to the clouds, then Jesus said, then take, take one or two others along. Now, by the way, this comes out of Deuteronomy 19.15 that says that, um, that no one should be accused of something on the testimony of one person. That's a pretty good principle, isn't it? We're not sure really of what Jesus meant was that you should take somebody that can corroborate the sin. I think it could be that, but it might also be take someone else along for accountability to see, to allow them to see how you're dealing with this person who's offended you. I've had personal experience with this. Someone said, you know, I went to my brother and I confronted him about this thing and they didn't hear me out. In fact, they just told me I was off the deep end and, and so I'm going through Matthew 18 and so I'm a friend of this guy. And he says, would you come with me? I'm like, okay. I didn't witness what happened. I have no way of corroborating, but I'm going to do what Matthew 18 tells me to do. So I go with this guy and I sit down with this, this situation and this guy who's wanting me to be with him just starts railing on this other guy. And he's saying, I, now I'm, I'm following Matthew 18, and what Matthew 18 says is that if you didn't listen, I should bring a brother. Now I feel like I'm being hijacked <laughs> as sort of like super weight, you know, into this, into this thing. And it's like, and this, is, this has been a little while, but it's a vivid memory in my mind, how someone just wanted to use me as a, as a tool to kind of like, you know, leverage against this other person. And right in the middle of this whole thing, I stopped and I said, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to speak about the original offense of what happened, but brother, and I say to the guy that asked me in the situation, I detect that your spirit is really in a, in a wrong place right here. And I said, I, I really don't think, I think you need to pr- spend a little more time praying about whatever this conflict was and maybe look a little closer into your own heart because maybe there's some stuff there. And I just had a, you know, kind of moonwalked <laughs> out of that situation. It's a, it's a weird feeling to be sort of brought into that. And, and if you've ever been brought into a Matthew 18, hey, look, someone has offended me and they're not listening to me. I need you to come out. Listen, the point is for some accountability so they can see what's really in your spirit when you're confronting this person. I've been in other situations that went quite the other way. Uh, both where I've invited someone into the situation or I've been invited into the situation and you sit down with somebody that has had a little bit of a pushback and they haven't really responded to the person and just feeling the love and the sense that there's now not just this person but there's another person sort of listening in and praying. This person here becomes so soft. It's so beautiful. And, and they, they just, I've seen it more often than not that the person says, wow, you know, I didn't realize it was such a big thing, or I didn't realize that this hurt you this way, and I I just want to ask your forgiveness. It's amazing when that happens. Or you can just actually just, and then the person that sort of brought me, or if I brought someone into that situation, there's sort of just like a little love fest that happens right there in that moment, because it's like, hey, we've reconciled. There's a beautiful thing that has come about of this. Now, what if you bring someone and there's good accountability, there's gentleness and respect, but there's no, there's no acknowledgement, the person continues in their course of action, then Jesus said, then be willing to even take it to the church. Now, remember when Jesus said this to his disciples, there was no church yet formed. It doesn't happen until Acts chapter 2. 
So it's likely that what the disciples thought of was the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jewish council that would have heard matters according to, uh, of, of that which was according to law or offenses. And so there was like this governance body. And, and different churches do this differently. Some churches have sort of the, you know, uh, right out in front of everybody, uh, they give the message or the news that so-and-so has been in a sinful this or that, and, and they've gone through the Matthew 18, and somebody's gone to them, and they've gone with others, and that person is unrepentant. And so publicly, everybody knows this person should now be seen as a, as a tax collector or as a, as a pagan, as an unbeliever. Um, other churches do it more in a governance style. Here at Three Crosses, just so you know how we do that, uh, you've probably not heard from our pulpit any time. Like uh, right now, we've got to go through a list of names of people who are unrepentant in their sin. Um, uh, we haven't done that, but we do that in a leadership vein. We do that at the, uh, if a person is a member and they're unrepentant and they're, they're not responsive to a person who goes individually, they're not responsive to uh, one, two or three or two or three others that go and there's and throughout and there's been time and there's been prayer and the, all of those things happen the person still remains unrepentant then we go to our eldership and we say here's the situation uh, we are now going to communicate to this person that they are no longer a member of our church and they because they're not evidencing the qualities of a believer when believer here you, so, by the way this is a great moment to talk about membership for a second here <laughs> Because some of you just decided, okay, got that, never going to be a member, you know. <laughs> no, membership is great. People ask, what is the benefit of memberships? Here's the benefit of membership in the church. Accountability, accountability, that's the benefit. And accountability says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and if I go off the deep end, if I go into sin and I'm unrepentant, and a brother comes to me or a sister comes to me and they confront and I, I turn them away and time goes by and then others come and I turn them away and then finally the eldership of the church comes and says, will you repent and I stay away? You're evidencing that you're not a believer. Or you're in such a state of rebellion that God's going to have to do whatever he needs to do to bring that softness back in your heart. And so we, I almost said we dismember people at times. We... Um, <laughs> We take people out of membership, much cleaner way of saying that, until such a time as that they repent. I know people that have been through this process, and, but I'll tell you what, most times, most times, and, I, and the reason why it's most times is because this is God's Word, most times the whole thing gets cleared up. It's beautiful. People come back to Jesus. People repent. People find a new direction in their life because they were so loved and cared for. But there are some churches that really mess this up, and it's all about, you know, you need to change. Okay, if you don't change by Tuesday, we're bringing some people, and then those people come in. And, you better, you know, and it's just, it's this, oh, it's this hierarchy of, no, this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about you are a part of the true community. You govern yourself. You have such respect for each other that when someone comes who's been at felt faulted by you, you would want to listen. How did I fault you? How did, or how has my life in some way been reproachable? How has something I have done kept the Spirit of God from doing a work in this place or in your life? I want to know about that. And so if we're sinning, if there's an area of sin in our life and a brother comes to us and points it out, listen and respond to it in a beautiful way, in a, play, in a way of repentance. 
Okay, so that's the procedure. The procedure is, is very simple. It's, I hope you've seen it there. It's, it's you go personally, you go with humility, you, you will be patient, but be willing to take further steps if need be, and the whole point is to bring someone back to reconcile, or reconciliation. That's the whole point. Amen? And the church needs to practice this. And by the way, three crosses, we could do better in this. We tend to sort of let, let people slide too much at times. And we don't really hold people accountable at times. And that's because as members, we always don't want, you know, we don't want the confrontation issue. And I'm not dispatching everybody on like, you know, the sin police detail right now. Because if you look carefully, if you're going to go to somebody and pr- approach them about sin in their life, <laughs> you better be looking really clearly at your own life. Because they might just have a little intel on you too, you know? <laughs> so the point here is, it's, it's a beautiful thing. The procedure is, this is for you. Secondly, uh, there's a principle to apply. There's a principle to apply. And now the reminder here that I want you to see, this is so beautiful. The first principle was, this is for you. Here's this one. Uh, heaven is behind you. Heaven is behind you. This is in verse 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What in the world is this? Um, this is, Jesus is quoting a popular rabbinic phrase. The rabbis had this phrase of binding things. Bi- to bind something was to forbid it, and to loose something was to permit it. And the, the people would come to the Pharisees and come to the Jewish lawgivers, and they would say, is this right or wrong? And so they would, they would, you know, deal with those questions, and they would either bind or loosen. Now, what Jesus says here, this is so important. He says, notice, whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, the NIV and the King James Version, actually the Bible here, do not translate this very well. Um, uh, this is a future passive perfect indicative, which doesn't mean much to most of us. But what Jesus is really saying is he's saying whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Already been bound. So what he's saying is it's not like the church or an individual says, well, I'm going to tell you right now that the way you're dressed is sinful and I need to confront that. I'm binding that. I'm forbidding that. You know, that's... No, Jesus is saying whatever you bind should have already been bound in heaven. What do we know is, is permitted and forbidden? but what is found right here. And so we come with chapter and verse. We come with what the Scripture has declared. We don't come with arbitrary, preferential things when we, when we bind or we loose, when we permit or we forbid. And I realize even in that statement, it gets a little muddy because there's interpretation of certain things. This is why we have to be cautious and very humble in things that we think we're offended by with someone because sometimes what we're going after in that person is really just a preference of ours. It's not really a sin issue. And so we have to be really careful. You know, I don't like how you're spending time with those kinds of people. I don't like where you're going with those kinds of people. That's sin. I'm going to forbid that in your life. No. You have to be really careful. There might be wisdom that needs to be applied. There might be some healthy admonition that is needed to be given. But it doesn't mean that you're binding or loosing. I hope that makes sense to you. So what Jesus is saying is that if, what what he's saying is when you come down on what the Bible says is right or wrong, you've got all of heaven already behind you. So when, when, 
and this is a true story, when I've gone with somebody who's confronted somebody who is living with someone who is not their wife and saying that it was the will of God for them, we point out that this is an act of adultery, that this is unfaithful to the spouse that they committed to, and there needs to be repentance. And they didn't repent when the person came to them the first time, which happened to be their wife. And now that there's someone coming alongside and causing confrontation, the person is still sort of digging their feet down in. But watch this. We come with with hearts of humility and hearts of love, knowing that not only is this for us to do, but we have all of heaven behind us because we have the authority of Scripture that tells us what is right and wrong. We live in a culture that has turned all the price tags upside down. A culture has said, this is no longer wrong, it's right. And so... And, and Christians are confused about stuff. we got people that call themselves believers and choose an immoral lifestyle, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's living with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage. And believers get involved in this stuff and they say, look, this is sin. We shouldn't be, you know, you can't call yourself a believer and live in this without a sense of accountability. And people blow us off or push us off on this. And listen, we're not trying to create a fight. We're just trying to live to what the Word of God tells us to live. And so we come with all of heaven behind us. And that's why we need to do this. Because it's not arbitrary. It's not stuff that we're doing on our own. It's, it's heaven behind us. So, by the way, when you, when you do this, you're going, are you sure? What Jesus is saying is here, when you go and actually confront and you kind of go through the procedure of Matthew 18, here's the question you're asking yourself. Do I really have God's mind and heart on this matter? Do I really have it? Or is this just me? I'm mad. I'm ticked off, you know. You know the serenity prayer, you know, right? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. Some of us turn that into God Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know how to get back at the people who make me so upset. <laughs> That's not serenity. That's agenda. And we need to know as believers in Christ that heaven is behind us when we choose God's heart and mind on a particular matter. But we better make sure that we have his heart and mind. And what better way than to actually have Scripture in our hearts. Okay, so there's a procedure. That's the, that's the principle that undergirds this whole thing. And here's it comes down to the last little deal here. This promise. There's a promise to appreciate. Verses 19 and 20. Um, helpful reminder. Okay, not this is for you. Heaven is behind you. This is great. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. I, I've often heard people talk about these two verses in a general as a general promise about prayer. Wherever two or three are gathered in their name, there he is in the midst of them. And whatever you ask for, if you agree about it, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Context is so important in interpreting Scripture. While it may be true that Jesus hears our prayers, of course he does, it is true. And he will often answer prayer, that is, and he always answers prayer that's in accordance with his will. But just because you and I agree about something doesn't bind Jesus to having to answer that prayer. The context here is that now, okay, you've had this confrontation, you've been with this person, there's been an offense, and now you're agreeing together. Now you've got the offended and the offender agreeing together and coming before God, beautiful picture of united prayer through a few gathered to recognize the presence of Christ, confirming that in this difficult situation, guess who's also there? Jesus. 
He's in their midst. He's with them. The beautiful display of Jesus' presence, watch this, cannot happen in a more dramatic way than when believers who are in conflict, who have come together to hash their issues out, find a place of agreement and they worship God. That's the most beautiful place where the presence of Jesus is is thicker than molasses. And you know molasses is really thick. By the way, it's interesting, this little word agree in the Greek language, we also translate the word symphony. A symphony is a unity of tones and notes that come together harmoniously. I think it was Wynton Marcellus who said, the difference between noise and music is this. Noise is notes that don't have relationship together, but music is when notes have relationship together. Jesus says, when you come together in my name and you agree, you bring the notes together that relate to each other, there I am. Do you want the presence of Jesus in your life? you want the presence of Jesus in this church? Then we better be coming together to agree about what he cares that we agree about. There is peace between you and me. There is no longer bitterness or resentment, no more pushback, but love and acceptance. Even if I have to disagree, Even if there's times where, I'm sorry I didn't see it that way, but please forgive me because there was no intent to harm. Where we own more than we even need to own just so that we can build a bridge and bring reconciliation into something that is broken. And think of the difference of what would happen in families and marriages and yes, even in churches if believers did what Jesus said to do. I love the Bible. I love how true it is and I love how it's meant and given to us so that we might live abundant lives. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you need to apply Matthew 18 to. I would say first pray, sit with this message as a place of starting and then do what Jesus said to do. Go Go reconcile it. 